your dreams can be your reality. You all, time isn't real. Okay, that is fucking crazy. Spirituality, manifestation, travel, money, entrepreneurship. Welcome to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Wright. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea. And how's everyone doing? I feel like January is what? We're more than halfway done and I'm like okay I feel like it's flying by but it also felt like 2021 was two years long so I'm just confused with time right now time is flying my birthday's coming up February 1st so if anyone wants to mark that down in your calendars just throwing that out there but yeah time is flying and my birthday is always very interesting because I used to live in Chicago and it was absolutely freezing on my birthday so no one did anything because people were just so over bundling up and going out, especially after the holidays. So a lot of my birthdays honestly sucked in Chicago. And then when I moved back to Florida, they were super fun because I did pool parties and then I moved abroad. And I'm trying to even remember what I did last year. I think I had a surprise birthday at a bar, but it was kind of a Tuesday night. It was a little bit awkward. So yeah, I'm like, you know what? I'm celebrating a little bit early this year. And I'm deciding between doing a bar crawl where people dress up as their favorite 90s pop stars or boy boy band or doing like a bike bar crawl and just hopping on bicycles and day drinking. So I don't know. I'm still deciding. I'll keep you guys posted because that's going to be wild. Whichever one I choose is going to be fun, but I'm excited. I'm turning 31. I feel 23 and that's life. And speaking of life, a lot of changes coming up. I have been doing a lot of behind the scenes projects and I hate saying that and then not telling you what it is, but I also notice when I say things out loud and I announce it to everybody, I'm not the best at executing it when I actually want to. So this is going to be more of a secret project, quote unquote, but I will tell you it has to do with just writing and more podcasting. I just want to create more and make things more personal, more fun and more enjoyable for me to create. Not that this podcast is unenjoyable. I actually love doing this podcast. That's why I do it every single week for the last four plus years. It's more so an intimate community is what I'm feeling like I'm missing. You know what I mean? I feel like connection right now is so important. And I just feel like I want to write more and open up more about so many different things, about breakups, about traveling, about sex, about dating. And yeah, that's what I'm going to be working on. Part of my last six months in healing and moving on from my breakup and moving back home and really just recalibrating, it's been a whirlwind. And part of the reason I've been able to, I don't, I wouldn't say fully heal because I don't know that we ever fully heal. I feel like we're always working on something to heal, but I would say part of my nervous system regulation has been from the app open. It's the app I've been talking about nonstop on here, and I was fortunate enough today to sit down with the co-founder, Minaj Diaz. So we talk about everything from his background, how open came into his life, the philosophy behind the app, the thought that goes into it, how they build it. You know, Every single piece of content is so impactful. It's why I'm constantly shouting out the app because not only is there a ton of content, but they always update it because they can see what people are resonating with and not resonating with. So they add more sleep meditations every few weeks. They'll add a new Pilates class, a new track, a a new way of doing things. And I love that they're constantly innovating. So we talk about that in this episode. We talk about innovation and failing fast and developing that failure tolerance that you really need as an entrepreneur. And I think one of the more interesting parts of this conversation that I was so curious about was how do you go from being a meditation teacher or a yoga instructor or someone from that background, which is very much service-based, very you know heart-centered, to all of a sudden filling out profit and loss statements and talking about forecasting and being a marketing director or an advertiser or whatever the case is, that's a very different part of your brain you have to use. And it blows my mind that so many people can switch from one of those identities to the other or at least integrate them. And so we talk about that. We get really deep into that conversation. And actually, I just remembered that this is the first interview out of all the interviews I've done that I've ever cried in. So we were talking about something that really struck a chord with me and I wasn't expecting to get emotional and I got emotional. And to be honest, I never thought about cutting it out. I don't think I need to cut 
things out where I'm emotional because I want you guys to know and hear that I'm a human, that I'm, I don't have everything figured out. Um, but I will say there was a, I don't know, you know, part of me that's like, I'm not questioning putting it out there. It's more so like, wow, it opens my eyes to either healing I still have to do or what triggered that or, you know, what parts of me do I need to keep focusing on and showing more love to? Because clearly, you know, something strikes a chord, it, it means something's still there. So yeah, you're gonna hear me cry a little bit in this episode, but it's all good. And Minaj is such an incredible person. We were able to get back on to the topic of conversation. And I think you're really gonna enjoy this episode, especially if you're someone in the spiritual or service space or health and wellness um, industry, and you want to start a business and you're like, I don't understand how to switch from this very flowy, again, more free spirited, more service based part of myself to being more of an analytical, you know, direct boss person, because a lot of us go through that. I think you're really going to enjoy the the conversation that Minaj and I had. And just a reminder, before we dive in, anybody that leaves a review and sends it into info at chelseareif.com or at chelseareif will be entered into a giveaway to win a year long subscription to the app open. So again, just take your screenshot, shoot it over, and you'll be entered into the giveaway, which I will pull at the end of the month. I am so freaking excited for you all to hear directly from the co-founder of the app that I've been obsessed with. So without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode with Minaj Diaz. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. I'm here with one of the open co-founders, Minaj Diaz. Minaj, I've never told this to any guest, but... I go to bed with you every single night. I listen to your voice every <laughs> single night and I go to bed. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. And um, I know we were trying to find a time that the two of us could connect and so many things have happened since that first email. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. And incidentally, you're not the first person to say that they go to bed with me. So it's, um, it's great to hear it every time I do. Hear it. Yes. Unwinding Road is my shit. I listen to that every single night there's one more you do to that but i'm like unwinding road is like my top one so i'm like that's that's been a game changer so hot tip everybody if you're having trouble sleeping go listen to minaj's voice on unwinding road meditation um you were in australia you're from australia you're back and forth between there and la so tell us a little bit about your background you know before open came to be what were you doing over in australia yeah, so I mean, um, I was born in Sri Lanka, migrated to Australia when I was a very small child, and um, very non-typical upbringing up until the point that, again, this is probably very non-typical in the in the corporate field in which I was at. I was a marketing director for one of Australia's biggest banks. Uh, I had a pretty serious panic attack at work, and uh, this panic attack really opened the the door to a whole host of underlying health issues that I was carrying at that point, you know, from anxiety to insomnia to just an unhealthy lifestyle, working 60, 70 hours a week, traveling a lot, not eating well, uh, the culture of drinking and, and partying in that, in that environment. And um, it kind of opened the door to about two, two and a half years of uh, trying to, to get well, trying to get healthy and some deep suffering, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally. And um, through that, I found my way back into a Buddhist meditation studio. And uh, this teacher really reintroduced me to uh, the practice of meditation and specifically Buddhist meditation practice. Uh, that was obviously a game changer for me. It really helped me not only understand my mind, but also understand the experiences that I was having. And it began to very slowly transform my life. And I was practicing with this teacher for about um, eight, nine years before, you know, he even asked me to, to start to teach. And even that was a very chance encounter. And he was sick one day and he's like, hey, I want you to just teach. And um, from that moment on, there was actually nothing else that felt as right as um, being able to share something that was deeply healing for me. And uh, I started very small and I don't recommend this to anyone thinking about doing it, but I just quit my job pretty much overnight and um, dove into to teaching. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that have considered that as well, you know, once they've found yoga or meditation or breath work. Uh, but that was a very hard period in my life financially, but probably the most rewarding period in my life, you know, spiritually and mentally, emotionally, for sure. 
Um, I ended up becoming a, a teacher, and uh, in 2015, I opened uh, a studio called A Space, which was Australia's first drop-in meditation studio. And this kind of became a little bit of a, a sensation back home in Australia because we didn't have anything quite like it. It was a multidisciplinary meditation studio. Uh, you could drop in six, seven times throughout the day, and there would be different teachers with different techniques and different backgrounds. Um, and through that, I got to really come into contact with lots of incredible brands and people. And it really opened me up to international travel. And at one point, we were leading workshops between New York and Melbourne. And uh, yeah, I had the idea of, yeah, I think we need to move this digitally. Um, and in 2020, as I was kind of building towards uh, an app, um, I was fundraising in the US, in New York, and I found partners and I found investors. Uh, COVID obviously hit. Um, and at that point, that just ruined all my plans. Um, the partners kind of, the partnership fell through and then the investors got cold feet. And there was a period where I was really just unsure about what the next step was for me and, and was for the company. And again, by a chance encounter, a mutual friend of me and Ride, um, who was from Open, introduced us to each other. And I started consulting as an advisor to Open, which at that stage was a small breathwork pop-up in San Francisco. Um, they'd run about 60 to 70 pop-up activations in San Francisco and had started to get like a loyal audience. And they were looking at the same thing. They were looking at building like a digital platform. And um, it was through like us working together and our relationship and the fact that uh, we just had a lot of fun and the opportunity to work with someone after being a solo entrepreneur for so long. Um, I decided to, to sell the company to open. So we got acquired. And as part of that acquisition, um, I moved to the US and joined open as a co-founder. And that brings me to today. And here I am. And open is such an incredible app. I want to get into everything that goes into it from the user experience to how you found the teachers and everything. But I want to go back a little bit and unpack that panic attack at work. And you said that that really um, opened the doors to underlying things. And what's interesting is I lived in Australia for a year and I noticed a very clear difference between how Australians live and how Americans live. And I fell the opposite way. I, I kind of did what you did just backwards. I quit my corporate job, moved to Australia, got my yoga and meditation certification in Bali, and then was like living a very stress-free life in Australia. And I noticed two things about Australia. A lot of Americans think Australians are lazy because they are so laid back. And then the second thing is there's a major wellness community and health and wellness. You know, you turn anywhere and there's an infrared sauna, a meditation studio, et cetera. Um, but then there is a big community of partiers that do heavy drinking and partying, like you mentioned too. And so I'm curious being in a land where there, where health and wellness in my eyes seem to be really prioritize, at least in my opinion, over America. Um, what do you think that panic was coming from? Was it from work, relationships, stress? Were you able to unpack that? I think it's all relative. You know, when we say that, you know, it looks like it's a very healthy place. I, I think it's all relative to the individual, but also to the community and, and your environment. Um, you know, when you're in the corporate world and when you're a director at a very young age, especially in the marketing industry, it's a very high paced, high turnover, high performing culture. Um, and a lot of us, and I include myself in this, haven't been given the tools to actually be able to, to navigate those environments and those situations. And I was raised in a culture of performance and of competition and of acquisition. And um, I didn't know how to understand my mind. I didn't know like how I would navigate stress and anxiety. Uh, when I was tired, I would supplement myself with more coffee. Um, you know, on a Friday night, I would blow off steam by going out drinking with with my coworkers, and we would just get up the next day, and you know, we would we would just do it. We would just you know keep going. And uh, yoga, meditation, fifteen years ago, weren't a thing. You know, it, people didn't really talk about it. Like you had to kind of whisper to people that, oh, I teach you know meditation, and even then, people thought you're a hippie, you know, and and you're a bit weird. So um, I think for me, the contribution of uh, a very poor lifestyle um, of not really feeling I was uh, serving my purpose, you know, in the world and, and having a sense of being really lost and 
having this existential question running around in my head was, is this what life is about? Is it just about climbing a ladder? Is it just about hitting these checklists? Is it just about getting a job, finding a partner, getting a house, having kids, um, or is there more? And I think when you start to really contemplate those big existential questions, they open up bigger doors and bigger questions. And that combined with a poor lifestyle and a stressful job can, um, yeah, can really wreak havoc on you. And so um, the, the panic attack in retrospect was one of the biggest blessings I've, I've actually ever you know, encountered in my life because it made me stop and really look at my life. Otherwise, I would have just kept on going. You know, I wouldn't have um, needed to stop and, and look at myself. I would have just kept on on this hamster wheel and that would have been it. Right. That's, I think, one of the biggest things missing from corporate environments is that mindset, energetic, spiritual piece of like, yeah, if a client cancels a contract or reams you out an email, like, are you, do you know how to regulate your nervous system and deal with that? And I don't, I now see a push for that. And I feel like open, you guys probably have plans to like get in, hopefully into the corporate world and get this app in people's hands to be able to take a midday lunch break or a meditation break and actually come back into your body. So that's what I know. I personally use it a lot throughout the day, not just one time in the morning before I kick off. And I want to get into that because when I saw open and heard about open, I was like, how is this any different from Headspace, Insight Timer, Calm? There's a million apps and it seemed like really another meditation app. Like, what is, is this really going to be different? When you were approached by the C, now CEO, what made you really understand how Open was different and get on board with what they were doing? I think the first thing is that we both had a shared belief fundamentally that mindfulness is the doorway to well-being. I think that was the, the first thing that we really aligned on. It was that you know, I don't know how many people can really exist without a sense of mindfulness, you know, presence and connection. Uh, you know, it's a necessity in our life. But, you know, we know connection, for example, is a biological imperative as well. Um, so we had a shared sense of alignment and a shared vision. But we also knew that there were other ways that we could tap into that same quality of mindfulness. Music for us was one of those ways. You know, hearing a beautiful song being able to really connect to the, the elements of that song, be really engaged with the music and certain sounds as well, you know. And we knew that if we could uh, create the conditions where music and movement and also mental training were to come together with a beautiful aesthetic and engaging aesthetic, something cool, something that represented us, that um, there were other people that would also respond to that. And for us, even though, you know, you can, I, I look at, you know, these other apps that you've mentioned and people say, oh, they're your competitors and competitors. And I'm like, no, like the, the world is actually big. The pie is actually quite big. And these other companies and apps will attract certain people and will also attract certain people. The unique quality for us is what blends all of these different elements like movement and mindfulness and connection is the breath. And the breath is the first thing that we are introduced to in the world when we come out of our mother's womb. And for us, that was something quite unique and quite profound for us that became what we really built um, our company on the back of. That's such an important point that you made. There's The pie is unlimited almost. If you're looking at it as limited and, oh, well, there's already another app doing something similar. I'm just going to take a step back. You may never know the potential. And so I'm curious, did you always have that entrepreneurial visionary spirit or what do you think it's actually something that was built through your mindfulness practice? Yeah, I, I, I don't think I actually had it in me. It wasn't something I wanted to do when I was in college. Um, it wasn't something that I necessarily thought of even in my corporate career. And I think when you start to become a teacher individually, you inherently become somewhat entrepreneurial because you're having to sell yourself, you're having to market yourself, you're having to do the finances. So you pick up some skills. And um, I think for me, there was just, uh, I have a fairly good business intuition. Um, and so I can, I can predict where I think things are going to go. And for me, you know, even back in Australia, when we launched uh, the studio, A-Space, I could see that mindfulness was, was booming. There wasn't anything like this. And there wasn't also an accessible point for people to enter into. 
apart from, you know, um, really deeply embedded uh, religious communities that would have it um, or like ashrams and temples. And there was nothing in the middle. So we, we looked at, you know, the, the spiritual marketplace, for lack of a better word, as being like this, this binary where people may enter through a calm and headspace and they may end up on their journey at a ashram or a temple. But for us, it's like, how can you take people or meet people in the middle where you don't actually appropriate this practice? You don't just strip the best parts of it and then just try to package it up. But you can honor where things come from and you can offer some depth. But you can also attract people that are perhaps have an aversion to religion or have an aversion to um, experiences they've had in their childhood and just make it something that everyone can receive and benefit from. It's so true. When I started teaching yoga and meditation, I had this Facebook group and I would do market research in there. Like you said, you kind of accidentally become a business owner and you're like, I need to do market research. I need to like actually market myself. And a big piece of feedback I got were, were people saying, I feel like I have to be a monk to go meditate. I need to go live out in a treehouse in the jungle. Like there's this very, I feel like this is from American movies, honestly, very stereotypical person, quote unquote, that meditates. And you even mentioned this too, when you were getting into it, oh, are you going to be a weirdo hippie? And I even got that when I was like, I'm going to get my yoga meditation certification. Someone's like, oh, I hope you don't come back with dreadlocks and piercings right. on a sleeve. And I was like, what is happening? Like what happened here where there's such, I honestly think again, it's like Hollywood. So I'm curious about two things was, did you ever have, I don't want to call it an identity crisis, but I guess like uh, an issue with, wait, yeah, I was a marketing director. Now I'm kind of going the opposite way, studying with this Buddhist teacher and teaching this way. Did you get feedback where people were like, what the hell are you doing, Minaj? Or like, this is cool. I'm curious about that piece. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Chelsea. I think, um, you know, I was born and raised in the Buddhist tradition in Sri Lanka. So I had an introduction to that from a very young age. Um, so it wasn't something that was completely foreign to me at all. Uh, but obviously, when we moved to Australia and um, I dove into the corporate world, and then left the corporate world to pursue something completely different, uh, there were a lot of questions for sure. You know, there were like, how are you going to look after yourself? Like, what the hell is meditation? It's only for hippies. And I think, again, this is what our culture of hyper-individuality and capitalism really create, is that we operate in binaries. We don't think that someone being completely happy doing what they do can also be profitable, you know, can also have a good life, can also be able to you know, raise kids and, and have a family and do all of that. And so I think a lot of the questions that I had early on were probably warranted because the industry isn't like it is now. Um, you know, there are predictions in 2025 for the wellness industry to be a trillion dollar industry. Um, and we know that, you know, brands and companies and investors love to get involved in, in health and wellness. But this wasn't the case, again, 15 years ago. It may not, not even been the case like, you know, eight, nine years ago or 10 years ago. But it certainly is the, is the case now. So I'm a big advocate for following your passions and following your dreams and believing in the authenticity of the delivery and the product and the service and that that will serve you in the end. Yeah, it's very interesting that you mentioned you had a very strong business intuition and a lot of things that keep happening to you are by chance encounters. And I feel like those chance encounters can be serendipitous or it's because you've subconsciously or not put yourself in these positions to be helped. You know, like, wow, you're in the right room with the right person at the right time, having the right conversation. Clearly, like something in the universe or the energies were working to like make that encounter happen. And so do you know, do you listen to um, How I Built This by Guy Raz? I do, yeah. I love the question he asks at the end. Like, do you think a lot of this was success, uh, excuse me, like luck or, you know, actual hard work? And I'm mm. curious, you're, how would you answer Guy's question? It's so funny. I always think back, what would happen if I ended up on that show? What would I say? Um, to be honest, I think, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I think it's a little bit of both. I think you have to work hard to be able to create the conditions for luck to actually arise. 
you know, I, I don't think it's just by chance, like I was walking down the street and all of a sudden this opportunity, you know, fell on my lap. I think I worked really hard to create um, a brand that was international and global. Um, even though it was a small brand, it, you know, it was big in the industry of meditation and mindfulness. And it was because of that um, initial hard work that by chance a, a really good friend of mine inter- and, and a really good friend of Ride's was like, hey, you guys should probably talk to each other. There might be something like you can do together. And again, it was by chance that we had so much in common. And again, it was by chance that COVID really happened and um, it made me abort my you know, personal ambition. And again, it was by chance that Open at that moment in time was, was kind of looking for someone to, um, to fill the role that I was kind of stepping into. So I think it's, it's a bit of both, but I don't think we can necessarily rely on um, luck or chance or destiny um, to really dictate how we live. I think it's a combination of both. If you work hard enough and you believe, then you'll create the conditions for these moments to arise. I love that. I think it's something for any new entrepreneurs listening to really grasp onto is it's almost inevitable when you put that much energy and that much soul and that much heart into something to not be in the right places at the right time. You know, that's, that's something I always have to hold on to. Cause you know, there's times where you're like, is this really like what I'm doing? I'm spending all my time grinding my gears, trying to make things work, wearing 20 different hats. Is this thing going to take off? And it's like, when you are truly believe in what you're, what you're producing or putting out in the world, it, almost as inevitable that it will come back to you and work out. So I know we've been, I feel like I've been alluding to the success of open and we're talking about success, but we haven't actually gotten into the app's evolution. So I want to talk about that. I'll tell you my journey of getting into open. I found it through holisticism, Michelle Pelazon, which I know you were on the 12th house, an incredible Mm -hmm. interview. And I was like, okay, let me give this thing a shot, 30 days trial, whatever. But by chance, same thing, it came into my life right when I needed it because I was going through a breakup. I was living in Germany with my ex. We broke up and Germany has crazy bureaucratic rules. And so I had to pay for my apartment for three months, even though I wasn't living there. So financially, Mm. that wasn't an exciting thing to do. Um, It was still the pandemic. And I didn't want to be living with him while we were going through this breakup. So I was traveling to try to get my mind off of things while running my business. So I think it's safe to say my nervous system was extremely in a turmoil and so chaotic. And then on top of that, it was something that we, we knew we were on the rocks, but when it happens, you still can't prepare for the actual grief to come. Um, it almost makes me emotional. Hold on. The reason I'm getting emotional is because I was like, you know, how am I going to, get over this alone like I was truly alone and wow sorry I wasn't expecting this um I remember downloading open and it was like it was like a perfect meditation and I was like oh my god my anxiety is calmed I kept waking up with crazy anxiety knots like I couldn't even eat you know I was having trouble focusing on work I had to take off like a month of work and I kept going back, uh, scrolling all the meditations on open, all the breath work, all the practices. And I was like, wow, you know, the power of an eight minute breath work practice or the power of a 20 minute nighttime meditation so I can actually go to sleep is so underestimated. And it really, I'm not kidding. Like it really helped me get through that breakup. So anyways, I'm going to try to gather myself. <laughs> um, no, I just want to, I just want to meet you. I just want to meet you in that emotion for a minute and, um, and just say thank you. And, you know, it's, it's so validating, but it also just reminds me of our humanity in these moments, right? And it just reminds me of what you're going through, I've been through, you know, and I'm sure one or more of our listeners would have gone through and experienced the heartbreak and the grief and the sadness and the loneliness and you know, when we create an app that is fundamentally um, trying to create connection, it just reminds me in moments like this, why? Like, what, why do we do it? Like, it's, for me, it's never been about the money, truthfully. 
truthfully. And I know some people probably actually say that. I think money is important to cover your basic needs. And then there's a number that you can live comfortably at. But beyond that, our life has to be a message, I think, if we're in this sort of work. It has to be more than, than acquisition. And for me, um, you know, hearing you share so vulnerably, um, it creates a connection from me to you, right? I feel connected to you in this moment because of that experience. And it really validates the work, not necessarily Open or me or even our incredible team. Um, it is the practice of just coming home to your body creates that connection with other bodies. So thank you, first of all, for, for sharing that. Um, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you had that experience and um, can't wait to keep practicing with you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I remember, uh, again, I was fascinated by, you could tell how much thought was put into the app for different classes and like do you want music or do you not should we put something with grief and sadness you know usually we want to humans love focusing on the positive let's get happy gratitude mindfulness and sometimes it's like you know what let's sit with grief for a second let's accept the sadness and I was like this is a very well thought out uh not only app like the user interface and everything but the content you can tell is extremely extremely impactful and I'm curious how does that work? Is there a mastermind on your team? Is there five people, 10 people? And also like, how do you decide what ultimately ends up going into the app? Yeah, it's a great question. I think we, we operate under the umbrella of mindfulness, right? But mindfulness has its roots in Buddhist mindfulness. And so when we consider um, mindfulness, like secular mindfulness, as the majority of us know it, we think of it primarily through this lens of attention, awareness, self-compassion, you know, for lack of a more robust explanation. But its roots are based in things like wisdom and discernment and, you know, love and compassion and all these other areas. And so when we think of what goes onto the app, we're like, how do these grand elements help us in our life? Like, holy shit, like half the world is going through COVID right now. Like what can, what can awareness or what can loving kindness tell us about going through loneliness? And then that becomes a piece of content. Um, same with friendship. You know, what can the practice of sympathetic joy, which is a 2,500-year-old training, what can that tell us about cultivating friendship? Um, and so for us, there's unlimited content because we operate under a system. It's not like there is necessarily a specific genius on the team. They're like, oh, what about this? Or what about that? I think as a team, we're all very aligned with the mission of presence and connection. And we look through that lens whenever we create content. Like, does this create a more present individual? And does this create a more connected um, community? And so if we can look through those two lenses every time we create, there's unlimited stuff. And I think a, a byproduct of that is over the years, oh, sorry, over the last few months, we've started to make it just really relevant to what we're going through right now. So a lot of anxiety, for example, and around Christmas, there was a lot of grief. There was, you know, painful emotions. And uh, one thing we're really proud of is that we don't shy away from taboo subjects, you know, like death and um, grief. And, you know, over time, we'll start to talk about sex and there'll be different things. And I think we just want to know, actually, people today just want the tools to be able to navigate their life. And it's not just about love and light, you know, which is perhaps what we've thought of meditation and mindfulness to be for so long. It's about the ugly stuff. It's about the grimy stuff. And how can this practice not help us avoid this, but how can it actually help us navigate through those murky waters with grace, with love and with awareness? So I'm so stoked and excited that you love what we're doing. And I think it's just only going to get better for us as we uh, move into this year. Oh, I can't wait. Cause I'm like, I already think it's incredible. I'm like, what else is there to add? So I, I can't wait to see what else is coming. And I also noticed, and you mentioned this too, music, music being a really big element that people I think underestimate. And I didn't realize that until I started working out with my sister and she didn't like this specific workout app because it didn't have music in it. And she's like, it's just so annoying that I have to go put my own music on and then put the app on. And it's just too many things. I just want something. And then when I found open, I was like, you know, there's classes that they already include the music, but it's not just for the workouts. It's for the meditation and the breath work. 
and it does change the whole vibe of the practice. So I'm curious. I, I also notice you feature artists. I think that's something you probably put some thought into as well. Let's bring some new artists in the app. Where did the the thought of like, you know what, music is a big piece of this. We need to include this in the app and then also sourcing the artists. I want to know about that whole process and like, what, how did you guys decide to do that? Yeah. So we, we are a music forward app. So when we actually um, created the company in its infancy, one of our core advisors is an ethnomusicologist um, out of New York city. And so there's actually scientific, um, there's a scientific underpinning to why we integrate music and sound into, into our experiences. We know that uh, sound can create an instant state shift and we know certain frequencies and certain sequences of frequencies can take us into different elements of our emotional and spiritual psyche. And so um, it's always been at the forefront of everything that we do. Outside of that, it also reflects us as individuals, like we're playful, we're lighthearted, we think deeply, of course, but there's a, a sense of, of fun and, and frivolity to a lot of our experiences. And I think that the fact that we can integrate music into some of our meditations and breath work and yoga simply allows people to feel like there's an access point to that as well. You know, and we've all been to yoga classes where there's been, you know, music that's been played for like 20, 30 years and it's all like flutes and everything like that. And that's amazing. I love that sort of stuff. But sometimes we want to feel a different type of energy when we move into a practice like yoga or breath work and, and specifically with breath work because the music really dictates our, our experience, right? It becomes the guide. Um, a little less in meditation, but throughout all of our experiences, music really is there to complement the experience and to support the, um, to, to, to support the practice. Yeah, there's amazing tracks in there. I love doing the ones with all the music in it because I think you have the option to choose ones without music as well right or is it in every single practice absolutely yeah that's something that i think you can tell too that you guys really paid attention to the freedom of options and choice and it's not just logging on and you only get like one practice a day or like you have to follow this track it's very much you filter out what you want and we'll see what happens so building an app just seems so overwhelming I, I'm like, how on earth would you figure out where to put things, how many things you have to test? You know, I, I can tell, again, you guys thought about people that probably get overwhelmed with content and need like a track to follow. You've built that into there. And so building an app, like let's start with just how hard is it to build an app or was it pretty easy because you had the right people in place? Like, I'm just curious from idea stage to getting open live, what was that like? Um, so the answer to your question is, is it easy? No, is <laughs> probably one word. Um, but also you can, you can definitely do it. It just depends on uh, what level of experience you want to give the end user. Um, we are so fortunate that we have some of the best engineers in the world. Um, my co-founder, you know, Peter, um, was is not only an incredible engineer, but is an incredible designer and an incredible product manager. And he has so many skill sets, like the smartest person that I know. Um, and through him and through his network, we've been able to recruit like a really brilliant team of people, a team of humans that have enabled us to, to get the experience that we have and, and that we're serving up at the moment. And so it takes a combination of uh, time, energy, and resources um, to actually develop it. But then there's experience and there's a lot of testing. And for those of you that wonder like, you know, product updates or the app refreshing, you know, why it refreshes all the time or less, like every time it refreshes, there's like 50 to 100 different updates that we're integrating into the app. Um, not just our app, you know, different apps combined. So um, there's a lot of iteration as well at our stage of, of the business. And we're learning, we're learning what people are clicking, what people are not clicking. We're learning what names of apps, what names of tracks people are responding to, what they're not. And we're constantly iterating, you know, when we're constantly redesigning and we're constantly testing. So it's a, it's a never ending, it's a never ending um, internship when it comes to uh, an app. And uh, I'm glad that you're finding it really easy and accessible to, to tap into. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an art form and I'm, I don't have an engineering mind. So I understand very little about what's going on uh, behind the scenes. But when I do catch up in our executive meetings, uh, I hear Peter and the engineering team talk about it. I'm just amazed that, 
how we can take a concept and then turn it into um, an output. Absolutely. It's having, like you said, the right people and the right teams. You really can't do everything. I, I've learned that it's the biggest lesson I could take is like, I am not meant to be the financer and the marketer and the content creator and the voice. It's too many things. And it feels like you guys really, everyone has their role and knows exactly what their gifts are. And that's what you contribute to the team. No, I, I think it's a, it's a great, it's a really great point that you just shared. Um, what I will also say is that, you know, we're, we're a startup still really. And when we first started, we all wore many hats. You know, I was doing marketing, I was doing different things and teaching and business and everything. I think over time, if you're lucky enough to, to see your, um, your startup or your project grow, then you should as quickly as you can understand what your strengths and what your weaknesses are and then hire for your weaknesses and then focus on your strengths. And I think that's what we have done over the last you know, 12 months for sure is um, really tapped into our, our own unique, unique strengths and really um, grown that. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I, I've worked at a startup. It's not easy. It is I, I, not only is a startup not easy, but then the fact that you are a co-founder. I feel like there's a lot more pressure to make this thing happen. We see the final product. You know, people go download open right now. Wow, beautiful works. It's incredible. It's impactful. What about the beginning stages? Was, was there anything that you're like, this is too hard. I might throw in the towel or like, I don't know about this. Maybe I should just go back to my own thing. I want to know about any of the learning lessons or quote unquote failures that you experienced. Yeah. I mean, there, there've been a lot of failures in, you know, my entrepreneurial journey, um, you know, starting way back when we launched a space, which, you know, the, the idea was brilliant and the, and the opportunity was, was brilliant. Um, but, you know, we, between me and my you know original co-founder there, we had very little, business experience we had incredible branding experience incredible teaching experience um, we had a community we had a vision and we started to execute on that but we just didn't have the the resources to really see that company 10x or 20x or 30x um, and we were very young and idealistic at that point as well and that can be good and, and that can also be be bad at times for sure um, but there were moments when we opened up a bricks and mortar studio, right? And there were nights where we just didn't get people coming into classes and, you know, we had put our life savings into that. We were completely self-funded and we were on the brink of depression, both me and my, my ex-co-founder, because we didn't know how we were going to pay rent. We had to borrow money from our parents. Um, we were trying all these different things and there were just people with, lots of money that we're just doing it better. And, um, you know, comparison as well is such a big influence on you know, your mental health as a co-founder when you see other people doing incredible things. So, you know, navigating all of that um, has been tough and um, having a bricks and mortar studio in COVID is a terrible, <laughs> terrible option. Um, and then also trying to, you know, keep teachers happy and keep your students happy and making constant mistakes, you know, upsetting people with, certain images and then as a teacher becoming aware of how language can really be received and there's so much complexity to running a business that you open yourself up to a lot of risk as well and you're not always going you're not always going to get it right and I think as um, as an entrepreneur that's what I've realized is that it's better to fail and fail fast learn the lesson and then pivot and then go in that new direction what can sometimes stifle us as entrepreneurs but probably also as humans individuals is that we overthink it and we and our overthinking becomes debilitating and we don't make a move and we don't take action and sometimes just trusting it going out making the mistake acknowledging it learning from it and moving on is sometimes the best option yeah i think that's one of the best pieces of advice is fail fast and move on because the opposite is I think when you're not open to criticism and feedback and failing, it's almost a little bit arrogant to think that you would have all the answers of everything you could ever possibly know about your business the first month or first year that you launch it. Like you need market feedback. You need your users to tell you what's working. You need to be able to say, wow, that was a horrible idea. Let's just can that and move forward and build that kind of failure tolerance. I think that's something that if anyone's new and starting a business, it's not always peachy keen and rainbows and butterflies. Like there's a million things I've done wrong too. And you might send the wrong email. You, something might not work in the tech. Like there's always going to be something, but I think it's, it sounds like what 
what you're saying too is like there's a bigger vision at hand so like you know a tech glitch is not going to cause you to throw in the towel or you know we we made a mistake with this email like that's not going to be something that you're going to just shut down your dreams for it's more of the the bigger stuff when you scale and it's like okay yeah now we have to charge of people's payroll we're in charge of retention we're in charge of a lot more um bigger fish to fry so to speak and i'm curious how you handle that pressure because to me that seems like a lot of responsibility <laughs> yeah absolutely it, it is um you know, maybe I am naive in, in this respect that I came to the world of um, wellness and specifically meditation, mindfulness, um, not through the lens of becoming a billionaire. I, I came to it through the lens of I want my life to, to have a meaning and purpose. And I know if I get up every day and I teach my heart out and I, you know, um, build up my team and I support everyone that's involved in bringing this to life. Our mission hasn't changed. We want the world to be more present and connected. And every single person that's involved in Open is 100% aligned to that. And there's something really pure in having a shared vision that's so wholesome that we know that mistakes will happen. It's part of being a startup, right? But we'll never stray from that mission. If we can always come back to, okay, we learned that lesson, great. How can we help the customer, sorry, our students access this you know, particular track in two steps instead of five steps. That's going to make their experience that much better. That might be the difference between them actually meditating that day or just not meditating that day. And that end goal never changes for us. So if we can hold that vision really tightly, every other little thing that happens just is part and part parcel of the experience of birthing anything into life, right? You know, for mothers and fathers, like, you know, the how many times I'm a father, like I know how many times I have messed up, you know, raising my daughter in my life. And there hasn't ever been a moment where I'm like, I just want to like trade her in and just be a single human again. It's like, okay, cool. Like I shouldn't speak like that to her. How can I speak more lovingly tomorrow? Um, because my end game with her is to just create the conditions for the most loving human to come into the world. And it's the same with, with the company. It's like, how can we create the conditions where this app is really meaningful and it's really impactful? And it's not just creating noise in a very noisy marketplace, but it cuts through and it's authentic and people can feel you and they can feel themselves in that moment. Yeah, that absolutely translates. You could actually just tell the people and the ideas behind it do translate in the app. So like I said, it's it's one of my favorite apps. I use it every single day. A question I had too, that I know a lot of people struggle with this. A lot of my listeners are in the spiritual community, wellness, health, and all of a sudden you get into business and it turns into finances and funnels and emails and tech. And like, you're just like, wait a second, I want to go back to just teaching my meditation and really, you know, dropping into the body. And you're in a very interesting intersection where you're the co-founder of a technology app and you have all this meditation background and spirituality that's infused into it was there ever a like a struggle to overlap those two identities like i'm just curious about that intersection yeah it's such a great question uh chelsea there, there definitely wasn't and i've struggled with that responsibility for a long time um often you know specifically with my old company but you know the early days of open I would switch between these two modes of going between an executive looking at reports, looking at sales funnels, looking at marketing project plans and projections, and then literally 20 minutes later having to be on set and having to talk about compassion and self-awareness and all these different elements. And that attention switching alone is very debilitating and tiring over time, you know, and we can all do it to a certain extent. And I think in today's world, uh, most of us are, are multi-hyphenates where we're juggling multiple things. And I think that's great. Um, my invitation is to consider what feels most authentic and what lights you up the most and start to work towards that and start to walk towards someone being able to do the things that you want to do, don't want to do. Because there are people that love spreadsheets, that love marketing plans and all of that. And they can come in and do that for you. So um I realized, you know, very early on that actually not early on the opposite. I realized very later in my entrepreneurial journey that I don't have to do everything. And it's actually a lot better on my mental health to 
be able to trust other people to, to do the things that they're good at. And I can do the things that really light me up. And that is actually a, a greater benefit to open than um, me trying to do five, seven different things. Yeah, I do feel like that's a secret ingredient is delegating and outsourcing and hiring because I, I realize that too. I'm specifically a mindset and podcast coach. And I noticed the narrative around coaching was it was this big idea to like do it all yourself and make it. It was a big like rags to riches story. Everyone was like, did it all by myself, hit the six figures and seven figures by myself, you know? And so you kind of feel silly sometimes outsourcing. You're like, oh my God, do I really need help? Like I could just work on a Saturday and do this thing myself. But what you just said, it, it's actually not beneficial to try and hand, handle all these different tasks when that's not your zone of genius or even where you thrive, when you could get to a point and hire people that love spreadsheets, love editing, love building funnels, and it would actually make your company bloom versus you trying to have this almost like vanity story of like, I did it all myself. It's like, great. And how do you feel? How's your mental health? How's your vitality? Like that's something your quality of life is just as important. Well, I think it's really interesting that some people can do this, right? And so I'm not, I'm not saying that you should just listen to me and, and my word is gospel. I think some people are really skilled at being able to manage multiple things and they really enjoy it too. Um, I do as well. Like, you know, there's no way I could just teach and not be involved in design and not be involved in content and recruiting. But I think there's, everyone has their upper limits. And if you're constantly putting your body and your nervous system under a lot of stress, um, your attention is spread across multiple things. It just makes sense that you would be poorer performing in some areas and other areas. So I think it's just wise to consider that over time. Absolutely. Yeah. In the beginning, like you might not even have the resource in the beginning. You're like, how can I afford my zoom membership? I, I remember that I was like, how can I afford $14 a month zoom? Should I just downgrade to the free one? Like that's all I was trying to do. And then eventually you get to a point where you're like, Oh, I have a little bit of extra money. Maybe I could hire an assistant or an editor or whatever the case is. And like you said, it's just important to consider where you could, um, you know, hire out for your weaknesses. Yeah. Um, there's something that I feel like in entrepreneurship, we put all our eggs a lot in the entrepreneurship basket and our dreams, and we really want to see this thing through. And a lot of times it's at the expense of our health, our relationships, our personal connections. And I see that all the time. I just had a, a friend in the industry that had an amazing financial year. Her business blew up, but at the expense of her relationship, she's like not feeling great. And she's like, holy shit, I did way too much. I'm curious, how have you found a balance or how have you worked through, this is my life's purpose. I need to see this thing through, but I also am a human and I want connections and love and family and all that stuff as well. Yeah, I think uh, to, to some extent, you marry your business for a period of time before you realize that your marriage is just unhealthy, <laughs> right? And for, for some people, what that means is they'll, they'll hit an inflection point where um, a relationship will end or their health will suffer or they'll develop, you know, lots of stress or anxiety or, or whatever it is. Um, I'm, I've had relationships that have suffered for sure because of, because of work. Um, my mental health has suffered for periods of time because work has been so, um, so challenging and, and so hectic. I think you learn over time how to create a balance and, it depends if that's important to you. For some people, it's not. For some people, the the success and being successful is more important than the health. Um, and that's okay for those people. If that's what motivates them, if, if that's what really uh, lights them up, then there's so many successful people we know, you know, that we hear about in the in the media that are like that. And I think we have, uh, we fetishize that a little too much personally. I think we don't um, consider the, the human experience of work is such a big, profound part of our life. And there's, way, there's ways to get to where you want to get to without harming yourself. And I think what meditation and mindfulness above all else really teach us is ways to care for ourselves. And so, you know, with that being said, like I was a contradiction early on in my entrepreneurial journey, but over time... I think I've, I've matured and I've realized there's no point me being a really 
successful 50-year-old if I've got all these un- pre-existing health conditions, right? Um, it's more important that I can get to a... It's more important for me to live day by day with a sense of joy and love and awareness than actually, you know, suffering for 10 years and then being able to really enjoy my life then. But that's me personally. I don't think the other way is necessarily bad, but I want to enjoy my life because I never know when it's going to end. And it could be tomorrow. And I want to be able to say that leading up until that moment, I lived the life that I'm really proud of and I'm happy with and I'm connected to. Absolutely. I agree that focus on the quality of your life just as much as you're focusing on your success, because like you said, it, it could all come crashing down tomorrow and you want to be able to look at your life and be like, at least I have all these other things going on that I'm proud of and that I love to do. So I just have two more questions. The second to last question is what's next for open or what are you excited about that's coming up? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so much excitement. Um, I was in Australia for two months and taking a little bit of a break and coming back, there's just a renewed focus and a renewed excitement. And, um, you know, one of the things we're looking at doing is opening a, a physical location in, in LA um, in the next few months. So taking our digital experience, you know, bringing it to people IRL, that's going to be really exciting. And then we have visions of really branching out into retreats. Um, and then I've got my heart set on opening a, an international location as our second one. So um, Melbourne or Sydney, um, I would love to do that. And then we have a lot of Canadians. So um, that's potentially going to be something we'll look at. Um, but really, we, we believe like this, what we're doing is really unique and exciting. And it's a movement beyond like a, a brand or a business. And if what we're saying resonates, we think there's not really any area that we can't tap into and, and we can't touch. So I'm also just excited to see what um, what spawns out of all of this. Wow. I cannot wait for a retreat. So as soon as that happens, let me know because I will be the first person to sign up. I would love to do that. And the pop-up, look, didn't you guys have a pop-up location in Venice? Yeah, yeah. We have a pop-up location that uh, it's closed at the moment because of COVID, but it's um, it also doubles as where, where we do all our work during the day. So it's like our office slash pop-up studio. But um, yeah, we're, we're building a purposely designed um, studio in, in Venice. Uh, hopefully open will be open be- before the half year mark of this year amazing well my last question i ask every single guest this podcast is called in my non-expert opinion and so clearly you're an expert in branding in starting a company and mindfulness but what is something that you're not an expert in that you wish that you were oh i wish i was really good at like home improvement shit <laughs> like carpentry like you know how to like fix a window that's come off its hinges and I'm just not very handy and I think this year I'm I'm trying to get more hands-on and, and do more things and um, be more useful around the house <laughs> I love that maybe you'll become a an asset when you guys open the real location you'll be like I know how to do this now I focused on this you're right yeah I love it. Well, where can everybody find you? Where can they find the app? Like pimp yourself out. Yeah. I mean, the, check out the app. Um, you know, we're really excited to to give everyone like a free month to, to trial open. Uh, me individually, I think Instagram is probably the only kind of medium that I play around in much these days. Uh, it's M-A-N-O-J-D-I-A-S. Um, and then, yeah, look forward to seeing you all in a class. Amazing. I forgot. There's one last question that I got. Are you single? <laughs> uh i am currently yes yes okay guys he he dropped his instagram i'm not saying (laughs) yes or no to slide into dms but he did just answer that question so i had to had to put a listener question in there so thank you for answering (laughs) no worries thank you chelsea thank you there you have it now you understand why i'm so obsessed with the app the people their philosophy the content Everything is so incredible, and it's why I've been using it for six months very religiously. I am a major hype fan, and you can try it for yourself. So all you have to do is head to the link in my show notes and try it for 30 days for free. You can go to the link in my bio on Instagram at Chelsea Wright. And if you leave a review and send a screenshot into info at ChelseaWright.com or at Chelsea Wright on my Instagram, you'll be entered into a giveaway to win a year-long subscription. Okay, that is massive. 
So just make sure you send in your review and I will pull the winner at the end of the month. Make sure you follow Minaj and Open and follow me at Chelsea Rife or at Non-Expert Opinion Pod. And thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than you know. And I will talk to you all next week.